Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. Coming up, I talked to two of the showrunners behind one of my favorite shows ever. It's called For All Mankind, and it is about outer space, among many other things. On news right now, it's just bad thing after bad thing. So I think a show now that aspires to kind of what is possible out there, that makes us kind of look up to the stars. I, I, it feels like the timing of that is right. But first, it's our chance to sit back and relax with two excellent humans. With us this week is the host of WBEZ's podcast, The Rundown, Aaron Allen. Aaron, hello. What up, Doe? Thanks for having me. Also here is the afternoon host on WBEZ's sister station, Vocalo, Nudia Hernandez. Nudia, welcome to the show. Hey. Okay, so I want to start again with celebrity memoirs because obviously a lot have been coming out lately. We talked about the Britney one a couple weeks ago. We have been graced with a hefty one this week. On Tuesday, My Name is Barbara came out. It is Barbara Streisand's memoir. It is 992 pages. Barbara told the New York Times that she wanted to make it two volumes because who would want to have to hold a book that big, which I think is delightful. Um, audiobook listeners won't have to carry around a tome, but this audiobook is 48 hours long. Now, Aaron, I know I was just on the rundown. We talked about audiobooks a lot. Have you ever listened to anything that long? I mean, that's like, that's crazy. I have never listened to anything that long. Um, and I was just checking the time for Sarah J. Mass books, which are thick. I was going to say, I know you like those thickies. Yes. Um, <laughs> but even those are like 20, 22. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a plenty. bit much. But you know what? I did go and listen to a little bit of Barbara Streisand's book last night. Oh, my gosh. And of course you did. Yeah. You know, it's actually really conversational and she's funny. You know, there's some mm. music pieces. I mean, she's an actress. She's a singer. She's one. What's what's the combo? The Tony, the Emmy. He got. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, if I was like a super Barbara Streisand fan, mm, yeah. I would definitely just listen to it. I mean, it's yeah. it sounds great. It sounds like she's just chit-chatting. So it's it's yeah. a good production, I would say. Interesting. I love that you did a little prep for that. That's delightful. <laughs> Nudia, are you an audiobook person at all? Of course. Look, Ooh, nice. <laughs> any, you know, because here's the thing, you catch flights, you can listen to a book, you're yeah. at the gym. It, it's, it's so great to be able to listen to audiobooks. The thing with me, though, like at this point, with every, you know, like Britney's and Jada Pickett Smith's that, that's come out. Yeah. I'm Barbara. I'm gonna need some something salacious, okay? I'm gonna need. Mm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna need. You know, a love triangle. I'm gonna need some <laughs> affairs, like a, a feud we never knew with Dolly Parton. I'm gonna need something. So yeah. we we need like give us a little something to read this book, you know? 
I did see a headline that said she was dropping details about Elvis and Marlon Brando, which partly was like, damn, she like she's a legend. I mean, she's been around oh gosh, she been for a here. long time. It's amazing. I need that. I, I need some of that <laughs> before I, I, uh, I, I buy the book, you know? Yeah, yeah. It is funny thinking about a 48-hour audiobook, though, because that's literally two days. I literally. Mean, literally. Nina, <laughs> what would you rather be doing for two days? Uh, take a vacation. Yeah, same. You, you could know, get a, you, hmm. that's like solid beach time. I think two days. I could go to Miami. I could go to Atlanta and have a great time and be yeah. back in Chicago in forty eight hours. <laughs> There's a lot you could do. Right? Yeah, that time. you could start your own memoir. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's another one. Because you know, Barbara Streisand writing the intro. She, you know, spoiler alert, but like writing the intro, she's like, I had started this like a while back. I wrote a chapter, mm. you know, and then I lost it. You know, so she like people be starting <laughs> memoirs <Girl>. also. <laughs> Girl, she picked back up where she left off. (laughs) Okay, another story that caught our attention this week is about The Simpsons, the long-running Fox cartoon. In a recent episode, Homer and Marge meet their new neighbors, and this happens. Whoa, that's quite a grip. See, Marge? Strangling the boy has paid off. Just kidding. I don't do that anymore. Times have changed. There have been a bunch of stories since then about how child abuse will no longer be featured on the show. And, you know, I mean, The Simpsons premiered in 1989. This is its 35th season. It makes sense that stuff that was funny in the late 80s isn't working anymore. Nudia, what do you think about this? I do have a theory about this, okay? Okay, okay. So you know how The Simpsons, they've been notorious for predicting the future? Ooh, true. I I think, I don't know, whoever whoever's sidekick in that writer's room... Was like we're gonna get we're gonna get canceled for this, so we're gonna get on top of it before we get canceled. Interesting. You know, so I think they they were like the Simpsons had lasted a long time by making themselves uncancelable. So that's my little theory. But I mean, you go back to it. It is crazy though. It's, if you put on a show from two thousand and five, and you listen to some of the writing, it is wild. Yeah, it, it like some of the things that used to be said on TV, mm-hmm. like children's mm-hmm. shows is crazy. So, um, I mean, I wouldn't have watched the Simpsons and have been triggered, but I think they're just, they're just, just in case, you know? Yeah. I just think this is such an interesting one. Now, Aaron, you and I recently chatted very briefly about the Simpsons. You were not allowed to watch the Simpsons when you were a kid, right? Heck, you know, I was, my mom was like, (laughs) look at how Bart talks to his parents. (laughs) You will never (laughs) And so she was like, you're not allowed to watch it. I'm sure a little bit of that was also look how much of a slob Homer is, you know, Mm. and he just how he just like is just can't. He just can't. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm. He can't think. (laughs) He can't be productive. He just can't contribute, (laughs) you know. Um, And but yeah, I, I was not allowed to watch it. Therefore, I never really got into The Simpsons. When I heard about this, I was like, good for them. Don't really care. I was like, Mm. I'm surprised The Simpsons hasn't been canceled by now. You know, a lot of the changes that they've made when it comes to like, you know, kind of racialized (laughs) slash racist things that they do on the show just happened in the last like two or three years. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot about um, Hari Kondabolu calling them out on their portrayal of Apu, who's Mm -hmm. an Indian-American immigrant in the show, but who's voiced by a white guy. And it very much became sort of like this super harmful caricature, you know, and it took them a very long time to sort that whole situation out. And they had a black character that was voiced by a white, white actor also for like, like decades. Yeah. Yeah. It's rough. It's real rough. So I don't know, though. I mean, 
a question I end up having in these situations also is like, is part of the argument just that like things shouldn't last this long, you know, like maybe we just need a fresh new TV show as opposed to trying to make 35 years of something like the Simpsons. Maybe, but I I mean, I don't, it, it is hard for me because I know Aaron, you weren't allowed to watch it. I don't know. In my house, I was I was allowed to watch a lot. Very, very freedom household. But like we used to go to Universal Studios and get on the Simpsons ride. Like it was like our favorite, you know? So yeah. I don't I think I'm a little biased here. Okay. I think I'm a little biased. Um, but if a show is gonna be around, you know, for thirty five hundred years, I guess the thing <laughs> is to at least adapt yes. it and yes. be willing to make those changes that like, you know, could offend and turn people off to the show you know there's there's a thing of like when it's your time to go just bow out gracefully yeah yeah and and I I I support that a lot of the time but then there's there's also like if you just like you were saying Nudia at first like if you go to the beginning 1989 (laughs) right yeah and you come forward to 2023 like there's not a lot of media that's been around that whole time with the True. same character, same thing, you True. know, all a lot of other things controlled for, you know. And so, like, you can kind of get a sense of, like, how society has evolved. Um, you know, there's a lot of learnings that you can pull from something, yeah. something that's been around and forward facing for that long. And, yeah, I think to your point, that's a really good argument for it staying around because that means we can see growth. And here they are. It's this very successful TV show. But even they and they don't have to, like you know, bend over backwards and say like, we're so sorry we portrayed Homer strangling Bart all those years, but they can at least say times have changed. Mm -hmm. And that is like, we can certainly call that a win. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of time, it is November. Mm -hmm. We are back in standard time. It is getting dark at like 4.40 PM here in Chicago, which is wild. Um, Given the fact that it's dark very early all of a sudden. Are y'all doing anything different on these like very dark afternoons? It's an excuse to go home. <laughs> yeah. You right? know, like, I don't want to go out for an excuse. <laughs> yeah. I I get real excited about standard time. When we go back, when we when we fall back to standard time, I'd be like, yes. First Same. of all, you get Same. an extra hour. So great. And yes, Mm -hmm. it gets darker earlier or, you know, it seems like it gets darker earlier, but Mm -hmm. you also get like a a extra little time in the morning. And I, over time, have become more of a morning type than a than a than a night owl. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, I got an extra hour. I can get up a little earlier. I can do a few more things. And then, as Nudia said, I get to leave a little earlier. You know, it's Uh kind of like, yeah. It's a it's a good vibe, and then it's also a signal, I think, to my brain to just go ahead and move into hibernation mode. Like yep. <laughs> you've yeah. been putting yeah. it off, just go ahead and get in there. Yeah, I do love that. I mean, it's funny because as an introvert, like it's hard enough for me to leave my house anyway. But yeah, once it's getting dark this early, I'm like, oh yeah, I could just stay in. We got something going in the slow cooker. Like it is all good, you know. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like I'm an extrovert, but. I'm ready for winter. Give me the snow. Give me, I'm ready for all of it. Like I'm ready. It's so funny that you say hibernate because I am ready to hibernate. Yes. I'm ready to pack up some snacks. I've been working on a bunch of DIY projects in my house. I am ready to be hunkered down in here. Uh huh. That's delightful. I was not expecting that all three of us would be happy to just climb into a cave, but it seems like we're all there and I love that for us. 
I mean, this summer was hard, okay? Lollapalooza, four days. Four days for a festival. By the fourth day, you're not even having fun. Do you know what I'm saying? We're just, we have to be here because it's summer. And it's, you know, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. Are we all in our 30s? Yeah. Nudia? Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. Was do that we sound, was do we sound like, do we sound old? Are we those like, people? Was like, yeah, four days for a festival. Definitely mm-hmm. not. Ten oh years ago, that's ridiculous. Absolutely, that's ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> no one is having fun by day four. No one. It's not fun <laughs> for anyone. And I was also still sad about winter ten years ago. Now I'm like, mm, I'm good. <laughs> well, you two were very fun to have on. I propose that we have both of you back on, like in March, on the other side of this thing. Ooh. <laughs> Erin, she said we were her favorite guests. Did you hear that? I heard that. That's what I heard. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Nudia, Erin, thank you both very much for coming on. You are my favorite guests. (laughs) Thank you. We won't tell anyone else. (laughs) Thank you, Greta. Let's take a quick break and then we will hear from the showrunners of For All Mankind, which if you're not watching, you absolutely should be watching. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org events. There is a TV show on Apple TV Plus that if you have listened to Nerdat for like any extended period of time, you will know I am obsessed with it. It's called For All Mankind. And if for some reason you haven't heard about it, it's an alternate history that supposes what might have happened if the Soviet Union had won the race to the moon. I think in the 70s, the dreams of going to space were insane. Like going to the moon was just the first step. You know, we were going to build a base. We had the Sea Dragon. We had going to Mars. And I think what we all shared that inspired this show was a feeling that when it that fizzled away slowly, we all lost something. That is Ben Nadivi. He is one of the showrunners of For All Mankind, along with Matt Wolper. The fourth season premieres today. One of the things I really love about For All Mankind is that it is narratively ambitious. Of course, there's the alternate history, but also the show has just spanned a lot of time in the past three seasons. Here's Ben again. So we realized the only way to appropriately tell the story was to jump through time. And, and that's why every season of the show jumps a decade. Like the first season's in the 70s, then we went to the 80s, 90s, and now we're in the 2000s. And we felt that was the best way to be really be able to tell the butterfly and show the butterfly effect of that change. And possibilities in this alternate history are endless. Like what if we had made it to Mars in the 90s? Or what if John Lennon were still alive today? Would he go down the path of so many aging rockers <laughs> of eventually doing the old reunion tour and then doing the old halftime show? You know, it, it's almost inevitable that, you know, rock stars that die young keep, keep they're, they're young in our minds. And when they age, they make decisions that sometimes, uh, <laughs> sometimes is not as pleasant uh, to experience. So I, I think we wanted to capture that. And yeah, it's those little touches, I think, that, that we also keep keep playing with uh, every season. 
But there are things also that, that we haven't been able to do for various reasons that, that I really, you know, for clearance reasons. Like we really wanted to have in, I think it was in season two or season three, I don't remember, but it was, um, we wanted to have Eric Stoltz remain as the lead of Back to the Future instead of uh, uh, Michael J. Fox, because you know there was that shift they made, and there's some footage. We just couldn't get the, the rights to it, but um, there are a lot of fun opportunities to have fun like that. So Ben, this is an alternate history. There's a lot of space stuff, which means, of course, it has its sci-fi elements. But do you think of it as a sci-fi show? I mean, I'm sure as a creator, it's frustrating to have to put it in any genre box. But I mean, it's also, you know, I think I would think of it as a drama. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I think you're right. It's it's a show that's hard to categorize in that way. And I think in the end, it's probably more drama than anything else. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Matt and I, we actually started out in comedy. And I think one of the things we take... Um, pleasure in is the idea of this being a mix of so many genres this show and especially yeah. this season I mean you've got you've got like spy spy cold war elements mixed in as well and this story of like an everyman going to Mars and and labor conflict so I think from the beginning we were and you know television now has allowed us to do this where it used to be when we were starting out it was very much is this a sitcom or a procedural drama and what category do you fit into and what I love about where television has gone and I hope continues to go is it's breaking that mold, you know, that you're able to tell a story that has humor, tragedy, sci-fi, science, alternate history, you know, spy all mixed together. And I think because of the canvas of the show and how huge it is, we almost feel like every season we can dive and tell a different kind of story. So so it's 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 exciting and I think it, you're right. It's sort of that weird mix where not being able to categorize it easily, I think, is actually beneficial. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, it's been interesting, like, raving about it to friends because, you know, for people who are excited about, like, a space TV show, it's an easy sell. But I think for people who are like, oh, no, 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 like, space sci-fi stuff, that's not my scene. It's like, but you would still, I believe very strongly that you would still like this show. And it was interesting kind of thinking through why. And I think the genre elements have a lot to do with it. But I, another piece that I think is kind of interesting to reflect on is the fact that, you know, when you think of like a classic space show, like your Battlestar Galactica or your Star Trek or whatever, they, those shows take place entirely in space. And maybe they're looking for a home planet. Maybe they plan on going back eventually, but it is really that sense of sort of like final frontier. There's no going back. And I think it's really interesting how much time this show has spent reflecting on the people who are still on earth and, and how their family members being out in space impacts them and all the repercussions of that. It's a great point because really, you know, one of the, main focuses of the show thematically is about how the ideals of the space program reflect the people of earth because it's it's all it's us doing all that stuff you know and it's so it's uh, the the ways that that can divide us in the initial space race that when it was through the prism of the cold war but it was also pushing us to go further and faster and how in our show i think the the broader um, end goal is this optimistic view that the more people work together uh, with their enemies, quote unquote, the more they realize how much they have in common and the shared goals they have. And um, 
so it really is about uh, Earth and about human beings because Earth is our home, our home, you know. And so, a lot of astronauts talk about the moment when they go into space for the first time. It's not looking out into space that is the most impactful. It's looking back at Earth and realizing, oh my God, everybody that I lo know and love is on this very fragile little blue planet. And it just brings home that idea of how important it is that we take care of it. Hmm. I think it creates such a different perspective too. I mean, it's always interesting to interview an astronaut about like, how worked up do you get about traffic these days? Because they're it's just <laughs> like, it's a completely different scope. Yeah, they're like, it's it's funny. They're In the world of so many superhero movies, I almost feel like, to me, an astronaut is a superhero. Like the idea that they saw a world that we've only seen in movies or TV shows or through, it is, it has to be a changing experience, you know? And I think, you know, it's interesting with the Ed Baldwin character this year, like he, he's on Mars and almost doesn't want to go back to Earth, you know? He, right. he's, it's the slow evolution of the show that's fascinating us about the, looking at Mars as the new world and the idea of the, the colonies. And, and this is where we aspire to get to and we aspire to fix the problems that we've left behind. And, and in a way, that new frontier is sort of exciting, you know, it sort of gives us something new. And when you look at the world now, we with every, the bad news, I mean, you look on, on news right now, it's just bad thing after bad thing after depressing thing. So I think a show now that aspires to kind of what is possible out there that makes mm -hmm. us kind of look up to the stars. I, I, it feels like the timing of that is right because even I find myself, you know, sinking down these deep holes when I'm reading what's going on. And so being able to write about something that's escapist, but still based in reality is, is really exciting. It's funny to hear you say that because, I mean, one aspect of that, I think, given the alternate history that we're working with, is that like climate change is not nearly as much of an issue in, in this TV show, which I think is escapist it's lovely it's also kind of devastating because it's like do do you ever wish we were actually in the alternate timeline constantly and i actually <laughs> find myself um saying things in real life that i'm like well when the russians got to the moon first and i'm like oh no, wait that didn't happen uh, like <laughs> i catch my i know i'm world. so <laughs> enmeshed that sometimes i actually do live in the alternate history <laughs> Good for uh, you. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. Come on He's in. He's a method writer. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, I think one of the other cool things about the show is, like, we have this amazing uh, turn of events that, like, nuclear fusion is cracked, and it sort of revolutionizes how we use energy on Earth, and it, and it takes away the problem of global warming. But then it puts a lot of people out of work also. <laughs> and how does that impact society and you know that idea inherent in our show of like how there's progress and then there's reaction to progress uh and pushback against progress and how progress isn't always just smooth sailing and every everybody's on board um is kind of inherent in what the show is and the complicated stories we like to tell even though there is at the heart of it optimism everything still is complicated on the way to optimism well, I think too, it's always funny to see what we have and haven't solved for. Like the like computer screens in the nineties still look like janky pixelated computer screens of the nineties, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's funny because we're constantly fighting the instinct, I think, to go too far too fast with our show too. Cause there's I think it's funny you look back at old sci-fi or even sci-fi now. 
it's always like la- like laser guns and and speeding yeah. through. It's o- it's always way few or flying cars. And I think something and like really, wild haircuts. Yeah, yeah, and like sleek <laughs> outfits. Yeah, yeah, and you're right. And when you look actually at how it's interesting, no one's really done a study of like how visions of the future from the past were way overboard <laughs> in most of what I've seen. And I think we really attempting here to ground that as much as possible that you're seeing the slow evolution of of the future and technology. So it's not like flying cars are everywhere all of a sudden. And I think that's, it's a challenge because I think in fiction, there's a tendency to go far fast because you want to like show the spectacle. But Matt and I really try to hold on to the idea that everything is grounded in science in the show, especially as we go more into the future. Because I think one, it makes it feel more real um, and makes you feel like something we talked about a lot in the room this year with Mars is like the, the mm-hmm. idea of asking our writers, what would it actually feel like to live on Mars? How can we take our viewers and say, this is what it is to live on Mars right now. And these are the troubles. These are the dangers. This would be the, you know, the, the daily struggles um, and really embrace that fully. So we're at an interesting technological point where I imagine it's extra gratifying to be able to make an alternate history because you can actually create video of people like Al Gore talking about going to Mars, for example. I wonder, you know, at also a time where misinformation is very high and there's concern about deep fakes, like how are y'all navigating the ethics around creating some of this stuff? I mean, obviously it's a fictional television show, but how are you thinking about it? Well, it's funny you say that because when we started the show, I think these conversations were uh, infancy, you know, like people weren't yeah. really, I don't think people truly grasped how scary this technology is. Um, and I, what we were seeing early on in our ability to take a public figure like Bill Clinton or you know, or Al Gore and, and change what they're saying and, cha- and write a speech for them is essentially what we're doing. Um, and I think if anything, you know, if anything can be taken from what we're able to do is maybe highlighting the danger of what that can do. I think we're embracing it from a narrative standpoint that, oh my God, how great is it to rewrite Al Gore's speech in the convention so that it fits the space race uh, nature of our show. And we, by the way, love that. <laughs> At the same time, you're right. We're, there's a side of me when we're doing that and seeing how amazing the technology is. There's definitely a side of me that goes, wait, what's stopping people from doing that to like Joe Biden right now? Like sometimes stories and fiction are the things that make people realize what is both possible and what we should be terrified of and scared of. I'm terrified by it also. <laughs> uh, no, but, but I think because our show is so clearly in a fictional space, uh, it, it's more comfortable for me. But like, I don't think anybody's going to look at the scene of Ellen talking to Reagan and him asking her to be the NASA administrator and being like, no, Ray, that was Reagan. Yeah, this is a documentary about yeah. being right. on Mars. Yeah. Proceed as planned. Yes, sir. And I appreciate the way you handled the situation under extremely difficult circumstances. Thank you, sir. That's very kind. I'd like to officially nominate you to the Senate as the new permanent administrator of NASA. Well, sir, that's quite an honor. I'm not sure what to say. Your country needs you, Ellen, but take your time and think it over. But there is a slippery slope element of this that, you know, we're in the infancy of, of talking about these issues, and we're very conscious of it as we, as we go through it. So we mentioned with season four, we're in the early 2000s. I would love to know how much farther out y'all have planned. I mean, you know, when we first came up with this insane idea, 
I think we had thought the goal. I think the the, the real goal for us was being able to catch up to the present. Cool. You know, with the show and the idea of of getting to a place where, on one hand, you can see the world you're living in, and on on the TV screen you could see this alternate world and how far we've come and how far we could have come. I think you know the 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 real to me the the secret sauce I would say of an alternate history. Yes, it makes you question what could have been. But I think when you start to question what could have been, you can also start start thinking about what could be. I mean, I think that like I I think you could you look at the show and go, oh, it's too bad we didn't do that. I wish we did that and feel bad about ourselves. Or you can take it and go, you know what? Maybe we can do that. Maybe we may not be able to go back in time and change what happened. But if we invest in the space race now and the technology, and we look up to the stars, then that's then it's a different kind of alt future is is possible. And I, and I th- if anything comes from that show, from this show, I hope it's that because it's something that I think we personally feel very strongly about, and we are seeing signs of it right now. Um, a little bit more corporate heavy, unfortunately, but I think. The enthusiasm for space and space travel, especially with younger people, if that continues, I think will only lead to great things. Well, thank you both so much for chatting with me about the show. It was a real pleasure. Thank yeah, you. it was a lot of fun. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening along. We are collecting voicemails from y'all about oddball rituals. We talked about it in last week's episode and we thought it was such a fun topic that we would love to hear from you. If you have any quirky rituals in your life, just record yourself on your smartphone and then email that file over to nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. We have already gotten a voicemail about Land of Milk and Honey, which of course is our November book club pick. We are very excited about that as well. So if you've read it or if you're in the process of reading it, don't forget to chime in. We would love to hear from you about that too. Nerdette is produced by me and Anna Bauman at WBEZ in Chicago and is part of the NPR network. And our executive producer is Brendan Banasak. We will see you next Friday. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.